that's what you say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take your Bibles and turn to uh, two places tonight. First place to turn to is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I did preach this at the Jubilee, um, so if you listen to it, uh, it'll probably won't come out the same way it did that time, so don't worry about it. But uh, yeah, if you would uh, pray for my wife, um, this morning I was on the phone with my mom. We had a close uh, friend of theirs up north uh, to our family. Uh, he got uh, he got stomach cancer. Um, or some kind of gastrointestinal cancer. Basically, it was a cancer in between the stomach lining. And uh, he was 39 years old. He turned 40 on Wednesday when they put him on a ventilator. And then he died uh, this morning. Uh, my mom was there with his wife. Uh, he didn't have any life insurance. Um, they're in a mess up there. And so dealt with that uh, coming into church this morning. And then as we were standing there, after church, my mother-in-law called, and uh, they found uh, they found my wife's brother um, dead this morning. Uh, so he had an overdose, and um, so she's in Indiana now with my mother-in-law. And they'll take care of the uh, arrangements um, tomorrow. So just pray for her and uh, and my mother-in-law. And um, and it's funny sometimes when it rains, it pours, it happens to everybody. It's stuff that everybody, you know, goes through and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, the Lord's still good, and we'll see um, how the Lord uses this stuff. Um, you know, we'll just see as time goes on. But I appreciate your prayers. And, um, and uh, well, let's just go ahead and get into this. I won't say any more about that. All right, let's, Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Familiar passage. Um, it's one we've all read before, but I maybe want to take it into a direction tonight and we get some help from it. Uh, verse number one: For we know that if, uh, for we know, excuse me, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house made without hands. Um, wait a second, I'm in the wrong spot here. I'm supposed to go to 10. It's 10 verse 5, not 5 verse 10. My bad. Uh, let's go to verse um, 2. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with you, uh, that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we've walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And it says, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church tonight. Father, I pray that you would uh, just clear my mind here in the next few moments. Lord, help me, Lord, to focus on the things that you want to say tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with my wife, Lord, and my, and my family right now as both sides are, Lord, they're mourning and, uh, 
they have lots of questions, Lord, lots of, of uh, pain, and, 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 and Lord, these are, these are deaths that in our mind, they don't happen this early. They shouldn't happen this early, Father, but Lord, uh, it is a point when a man wants to die, Father, and, and Lord, these are when they, their time was, so I pray that you just comfort them now in their, in their heartache, and Father, these that are here, Father, undoubtedly, Lord, there's, there's things going on in this room tonight, Lord, that... Uh, Lord, if we were to have time of testimony, the, the, the stories that could come out, Lord, from just the folks that are present here this evening, uh, Lord, no doubt there would be no lack of tears and sorrow, uh, Lord, here in this room. So I pray that tonight, that through the Holy Spirit and through this book, Lord, that you would minister to us like only you can. Father, we are, we are just frail humans, Father, uh, Lord, trying to get through a life uh, and, and, and do it in a way that's pleasing to you, Father. So I pray that tonight as we know that the time that we open up the Bible is valuable, Lord, and uh, it's important. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would please wash me in the blood tonight. Father, put a guard about my mouth. I may not say anything, Lord, that would be uh, untrue, Father, or hurtful. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just control this vessel tonight. Lord, help me, Lord, not to, uh, to interject myself in any of these comments or remarks, Father, but may they be from heaven and Lord, we just ask tonight, Lord, that you would please step in here and meet with us and give us what we need in this hour. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, here we're told some very insightful information about the Christian life. One thing I've learned about Christianity as, uh, as I've done my best to try to you know, stay in this thing in the time that I've been in, in it and preaching and dealing with people is that when I, when I got out of Bible college, I don't think the same way now as I did then. I used to, I used to have this, you know, uh, I don't know if it's just being a novice or just being young and being stupid and <laughs> just not knowing anything, but I used to have this mentality that uh, I would see somebody quit or I would see somebody get out or I would see somebody struggle or have issues and stuff like that, and I always had an answer for why that person got out or why that person was failing or why that person was going through that. I always had an answer. Right. I always had I always I, in my mind, because I knew the Bible, I knew why certain things were taking place. And and now that I've been through some things in my life now, I realize that I don't really have that answer. Amen. Right. I used to look at people and I'd say, oh, my goodness, that person got out or that person is no longer in church and that person is no longer serving God. And this person, they used to do this and this and this. And then now they're, I can't, can you even believe they don't even look like they're saved anymore. It's just, and you'd use them as an illustration in a sermon and, and you'd shout about it. And, you know, you'd, you'd warn people and you'd say, you're going to be just like them. And it was like, what makes you, like, why are you so hard on? It's almost like, I was like not thinking about myself. Like, have you ever been placed in a situation where you were going to quit? I didn't. My mentality was there's no way I would ever quit on God. Right. There's just no way that I would ever just stop serving God. There's no there was no there was no place in my mind that I could see myself no longer in church. I was talking to a friend the other day. Oh, well, it's actually some time ago. I said the other day, but it was just it was some time ago. And uh, I preached up to this church several times, and 
a buddy of mine is a pastor over there, and uh, he's an older gentleman in his church, and um, as faithful as the day is long. Taught Sunday school, I mean street preaching, just literally if you were to go to the pastor of that church and say, what do you think about so-and-so? He'd say, he's one of the pillars in my church. He's like a deacon. He's like one of my main guys, solid as the day is long, solid wife, good kids, good home life. I mean, everything. This guy was solid. Years go by, and I get on the phone, and, he, and I say, hey, how's brother so-and-so doing? He says, you wouldn't believe if I told you. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? What are you talking? What do you mean? I wouldn't believe it. And he says he lost his mind. I mean, okay, so what, what, what stupid thing did he do? What do you mean he lost his mind? He says, no, no, no. I mean, he won't leave his house. And all the shutters are pulled. He won't leave his house. He has gone insane. And I said, Bible-believing, Dr. Ruckman-loving, I mean, knew every bit of Bible that I knew plus more. You mean he's gone insane. No longer in church. Wife comes to church now by herself. Daughter's distraught, broken hearted. Dad's no longer. He's just, he's just, he's insane. Won't leave the house. You know what? I used to think that all that stuff was just the flesh. Just the flesh. Some kind of sin that I could put my finger on and say, see, I knew there was something. That, that guy said something one time, you know, and, and in my great um, ability to read people, you know, that one thing I saw and I, I, you know what? I knew it's something there was something there. And that must be what got him. But there was not that thing to point to. Right? Well, he always was a little worldly, you know, and he had a job. He was always out. He drove almost people around. He wasn't out in the world. So if it ain't the world, and it ain't the flesh. You just read a passage of Scripture right there that he says that the wickedness that's in high places, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness. Amen? Listen, I'm going to tell you something tonight. The subject matter that we're talking about tonight is, guess what? The devil, he gets blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do. Right? Can we just be honest? A lot of the times when you say, oh, well, the devil really been on me lately, he hasn't really been on you. You understand that? Can we just be like open and honest tonight? The majority of the time when you're saying, oh man, the devil's really been on my back here lately. That's probably just your flesh kicking up stuff. Right? That's just you being you and your carnality is messing up. And maybe you, you know, you're just kind of weak in the flesh and your flesh has been throwing a fit here lately. That's not the devil. You know, you come home from work and you're like, man, let me tell you, I man, it's just the devil. He's really on my back. Everybody from work and works like this and this, this and that and the other. No, that's just the world. Do you understand that, right? That's not the devil. It's not. 
And so the devil, he gets blamed for a lot of things and he just sits back like, hey, whatever, man, if you want to you blame me for that, that's well and good. I don't really care. But by misidentifying the devil in those issues, what happens is, is you've programmed yourself to think and not identify the actual problem when the devil actually arises. And then you can think that it's maybe the Lord. You ever think about that? You know what that, you know what that passage just told us? That there's imaginations that are placed into your brain. And those imaginations are conjured by the devil himself. You understand that? You see, the devil, what he does is he tries to occupy the space in between your ears. And you get to think in a certain way about other people. Or you get to think in a certain way about yourself you get to think in a certain way about your situation and the stuff that's going on in your life. Let me tell you something tonight here, folks. There's a battle going on. And if we we're going to identify where the devil is in that battle, he's not at the people that you rub shoulders with at work. And the devil is not in that little carnal thing, that, that besetting sin that you have. You may say, that's the devil. That's not the devil. How about how you think? How about the thoughts and the imaginations that's in your head? You're talking about lustful thoughts. No, I'm not. That's your flesh. Those are, the, those are the lusts of the flesh, you understand? That's not the devil. See, we automatically go to those things because they're so easy to identify. Do you understand that the devil, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to easily identify him. That's why the Bible tells you to be sober and watch out for him because he's not easily seen. So you sit there and you say, oh, I just lusted after this and I envied that. And I, that ain't the devil. That's your stinking flesh. So what does the devil look like? Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter number 18. There's an illustration given to us in the life of Moses. Just to give you some context so you know that I'm not just making this up and pulling out a you know, just pulling out a text to try to illustrate my point. Moses is called out of Egypt, right? Moses is in a battle, if you will, with Pharaoh and goes back and forth through the book of Exodus until ultimately he splits the Red Sea and they cross over into the wilderness and they escape Egypt. Do you understand what Egypt is a type of in your Bible? It's called the Iron Furnace. Egypt is a type of the world. And in, and in Exodus chapter 17, it just so happens, I love, listen, I don't know, I love my Bible because you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Amen? This thing is laid out in such a way that it teaches us lessons that if you just look and read, the Bible tells you everything you need to know. It just isn't a coincidence that after they get out of Egypt through the Red Sea, that's the type of the blood of Jesus Christ, just in case you're wondering how to get uh, saved out of the world, that's exactly how you do it. In chapter number 17, Moses finds himself in a battle, and Joshua's down there in the valley, and they're fighting an enemy. And he's got Aaron and he's got her on either side, and when his arms are raised, they win the battle, and when his arms go down, they start to lose the battle. But the people that they're fighting, they are uh, uh, the children of Amalek, right? 
And don't you know what they're a type of in your Bible? The flesh. The Bible says you always have war with Amalek throughout your generations. You understand that your flesh is never going away. You may be saved, right? And this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Let me tell you something. Just because you've been saved and the world isn't your home anymore, your flesh hasn't gone anywhere. You are going to war with your flesh every day, every moment of your life until you're dead. That's never going away. And so Moses, you know what he's doing? He's raising his hand. Sometimes he wins. Sometimes he loses. Sometimes he needs some encouragement. Sometimes he's, he's good to go. And the, and the battle, it, it can press forward. It can move back. It can press forward. It can move back. But the thing that I'm talking about tonight is not the world. I'm not worried about the world. We all know that the world is, is gone to pot. We, can we all agree on that? No one in here is trying to, trying to save the world tonight. And your flesh isn't going anywhere. But you're the Sunday night crowd. I'm not so much worried about I'm not saying there, there's not a demon in here that is, you know, gonna be, that's going to fly away here in a minute because you love the present world. There's some of you in here. The world's got you thinking wrapped so tight, and every time it says jump, you say how high, and you do exactly what it tells you to do, and you look the way you want it to look, and you act the way it wants you to act, and you do everything the world tells you to do. I'm not saying that, that, you're, that there's not anybody in here like that, because I'm sure there is. And if I'm being honest, everybody in here, even the preacher up here tonight, has got a war with his flesh going on. Let's all be real. I don't care how good you look on the outside and how pressed your suit is and all the different stuff. You're a mess. Your flesh ain't stopping. And no matter how much you pretty it up, no matter how much you put on it and try to, and try to make yourself look holier than thou, it ain't going to help. We all know you're messed up because your flesh is messed up. But the thing that I'm worried about tonight, because I know some of you in here, and I, I should say I know all of you in here, some better than others, the Sunday night crowd, you don't want to know what I worry about that's going to get us out? Is the thoughts Amen. in our bedchambers when everybody's not around anymore and it's just you and your own thoughts. And all of a sudden it's like, where did that thought come from? You know what? It's been my experience that some of the most difficult times in people's lives when they talk to me about certain things, it's been my experience that it usually starts with a thought. And Moses, he's not worried about escaping Egypt anymore. And he's under, he understands the war with the flesh. But there's somebody else that shows up in chapter 18. And it's like no other enemy he's faced yet. There's a man out of a place called Midian. A man from Midian. You know who he is? It's his father-in-law. You mean somebody that was close to him? Yep. Somebody he confided in? Yep. Somebody who had his ear? Yep. Jethro from Midian. A priest from Midian. You want to know something? If Amalek is a type of the flesh and if Egypt's a type of the world, just as sure as I'm standing here tonight, Midian is a type of the devil. And that thing goes all the way through here. 
You know, it's funny because the devil, he comes, he comes in, if you remember when the devil uh, tempts Eve back in, in, uh, in the garden, he comes in subtly, right? He comes in, he comes in with flatteries. He comes in questioning God. You know what? I, don't, uh, I won't get ahead of myself here, but there's just a couple things just so you understand what I'm saying here. Uh, look in verse number, in, in chapter 18, verse number 18. Look at what Jethro says. Thou will surely wear away. Doesn't that sound a little bit close to what he said? Thou shalt not surely die. He sounds just like the devil in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 3. You know, there's three places I'm going to take you tonight that where a man from Midian shows up, from people from Midian show up. And uh, it's funny because it's right here in Exodus chapter 18. He's talking just like the devil. It happens over in Numbers chapter 22 with Balaam. And you know what the Bible tells you? It says the, that uh, the folks, they, uh, the Moabites, they, call, they go get some men from Midian and they go to Balaam. You know what they tell them that they bring with them? The rewards of divination. That's demonic. And then it shows up again in Numbers chapter 25 with a Midianitish woman. And you want to know what happens there in, in, in Numbers chapter 25? Just, for, uh, just so you know I'm not out of my mind, let me prove my proof of concept before I get to the meat of what I want to say. In Numbers chapter 25, in verse number 17, it says, Vex the Midianites, smite them, for they vex you with their wiles. What does the Bible tell you about wiles? The wiles of the devil. And he says, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of pure. Just as sure as I'm standing here tonight, this man from Midian, and Midian shows up in your Bible, that's the devil working. And the way that he works is very subtle. And he comes in through avenues and pathways that you wouldn't identify as wicked. He comes in through people that you are close with. Moses finds out here his father-in-law. You know what happens here? And I, 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 I'm just going to give you a couple things here tonight, and then we'll close it down, and hopefully uh, you get some help. But in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, he's a priest of Midian. And, uh, and Moses, of course, he's, listen, he has just got out of Egypt. He's pastoring, listen, listen to me. He's pastoring, if you consider uh, conservatively, conservatively, he's pastoring 2. or 2.1 to 2.8 million people. If you're counting women, and that's only if they have one or two kids, and we all know in the Bible they had more than that, right? That's a lot of people to be responsible for, okay? And so he finds himself in this position of leadership, and he's leading all these people. He's just done all the stuff that he's done uh, with Pharaoh and got out of Egypt. He knows what it's like to fight the flesh and dealing with Amalek. And now he's sitting here, <coughs> and he is <coughs> now he's he's just got to a place where he is. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. He is somewhat uh, just got through that battle, and now Jethro comes to him, and he brings some things with him. Look in verse number five. The Bible says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he had encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, thy wife and her two sons with her, 
And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. You know what you find out? Moses starts to confide in Jethro and he says, man, God's done this and God's done this. You know what Jethro does? Flatteries. Oh, that's a blessing, bro. That's so good to hear, son. I'm so glad that God's doing this for you. I'm so glad this is happening for you. And God just delivered you from the hand of the Amalekites. And, and, <clears throat> and God, has, God has brought you out of Egypt. What a blessing. And I remember, you know, you came to me. And uh, who would have thought in all these years, you know, you'd have found yourself in Midian, you know, just tending to my cattle after the ordeal you had in, ordeal you had in Egypt. And uh, I just a blessing. God put us together. Isn't that wonderful, brother? Reminiscing and agreeing with everything Moses is telling him. And you know what he does? You think it was an accident that Jethro brought his wife and his kids? And right after he's had the heat of battle, and he's got the responsibility of the people. Look with me in verse number 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that he, had, uh, what, uh, that he had did to the people, he said, Is this thing that thou doest... Uh, he says, what is this thing that thou doest with the people? How does the devil get to Eve? He asks her a question. What did he just do to Moses? Why sittest thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning to evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God, and when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one another, and I do make them to know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, This thing that thou doest is not good. Who are you to tell Moses what's good and what's not? You know, there's commentators that say that Jethro gave him good advice here. The majority of them say what Jethro says in this passage is A-OK, and he's relieving pressure off of Moses. You mean Moses, the one that went up to the Mount of God, and God gave him the pattern of the tabernacle? You mean the God that came to Moses in a burning bush and told him exactly what to do? You mean the God that has literally gave Moses every affirmation that he needs in order to do what God told him to do? You mean you're going to add to that somehow? Don't you love it when the world comes in and tries to tell us how Christianity should be? I don't know about, I get wore out with that stuff sometimes. I get wore out with people who've never been a preacher trying to tell preachers how they're supposed to be preachers. What, what do you know about it? That's like you going to work. That's like you going to work and spilling your guts to somebody at work about stuff that's going on in the church. Ever done that before? Lord help you. And you know what they give you? Their vast knowledge of church, uh, of church you know, uh, that they have in their, in their repertoire of advice. And they start to tell you how you should live your life. And, oh, my goodness, don't you think you're a little bit fanatical? You go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? Oh, you mean that, you know, you, you, guys, you guys do other things and you take a week vacation in the summertime and you don't spend it with your family, you go to youth camp? I don't understand why you would do such a thing. You'd better calm down, you're a little bit fanatical in how you approach your Christianity. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, who are you? Uh, excuse me. What do you know about what I'm doing? Jethro, just shut your mouth. <laughs> You're speaking about things that you know nothing about. 
But Moses lends him his ear. Moses lends him his ear. And by doing that, Jethro is able to present something, and he presents a way of thinking in Moses' mind. Can I just be real honest with you tonight? You want to know what Jethro's doing? Why in the, you could say it was all in good fun. You could say he was trying to just, you know, he's been in battle and he's, he's doing all these people, you know, and he's dealing with all these folks and Moses is a busy guy, you know, and now Moses is, he's sitting there and he's doing the pastoral work, right? He's fighting the flesh. He's doing his best to stay as far away from the world as he can. And now Jethro comes to him and says, hey, here's your wife and kids. You think you've been neglecting them a little bit? Don't you think you've been a little busy here lately? And you know, all of a sudden, you know what that does to Moses? Starts putting pressure on him. And more pressure. And more pressure. And more pressure. And more pressure. It's like, how in the world? You ever felt that way as a Christian? Be honest with yourself tonight. You ever felt that way as a Christian? I got to work and I got church and I've got this and I got my and I've got and I've got my my family and I got my kids and you know I, I I've got a, a husband I've got a wife you know maybe you uh, you know there's a bajillion different things that you could be doing in your life at one given time and you're like oh my goodness how do I balance all of this stuff anybody ever get overwhelmed sometimes with just the daily routine that you have to get through and all the responsibilities that you have underneath you. Has anybody ever been guilty of saying, oh, I wish I just had some time? I wish I just, you ever just ask somebody, they're like, brother, I wish I could fit you in, but I just can't between this, 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 this. I just got so much on my plate right now. Right? And all of a sudden you feel like I'm failing at this and I'm failing at that and I'm failing at this and I'm failing at that. And Jethro says, hey, you're going to kill yourself. This isn't good what you're doing. You shouldn't be balancing all this stuff. You know what you need to do? What does he say a few verses down? He says, you need to make this thing a little easier. You see that? You know, I know something. I got a problem with people trying to make Christianity easier. Because you want to know, let's just be honest. I'm trying to be honest, and I keep saying that. I don't know why I keep saying that, but I, maybe I lie a lot during my sermon. I don't know. <laughs> I'm being real honest tonight. <laughs> Not like usual when I tell all those lies when I preach. <laughs> right? Just qualifying that so we all know what's going on. <laughs> you ever think that maybe Christianity is supposed to be hard? You ever think that maybe, just maybe, a part of the Christian life is you trying to figure out how to balance those things? You know, I was, in, uh, I was up at a church one time and was preaching a meeting, and uh, after he got done preaching, it was probably, I think, the second night of the meeting, a bunch of young guys came up and said, hey, let's go pass out some gospel tracts at this Walmart. I'm like, cool, let's go, you know? And so we got in a car. We, all, we had probably about 10, 15 of us, and we we're going to go pass out tracts at this, at this Walmart. And uh, we get to this Walmart, right, and I still have my suit and tie on. One of the guys in the church comes up and says, well, you got, you got to take your tie off. You can't pass out tracks at a tie. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> you can't pass out tracks in a tie, you know? And he says, uh, well, what tracks are you using? Are you using chick tracks? Well, we have these Kirk Cameron tracks. 
You see, we've done the way of the master. I'm like, oh, that sounds fancy. Did you get, and then get little certificates. You, do, you finish the way of the master, you get a little certificate, and it tells you exactly how to deal with people. You know, in order for you to deal with somebody according to the way of the master, you go up to somebody and say, have you, are you a sinner? Right? And they go, oh, I have no idea. And you go, well, let me ask you a few questions. And you say, have you, have you ever, you go right to the Ten Commandments, have you ever told a lie? You know? Have you ever stolen anything? Even a pencil. <laughs> right? Now, listen, I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it. But you know what they told me? They said, what it really is really great about doing, it's really good about taking a complex uh, subject of witnessing and really making it a lot easier. I'm not interested in making it easier. I'm not interested in making it easier. You know what I'm interested in? Learning my Bible good enough to where if somebody has a question, I can give an answer of the hope that lies within me. And if you feel uncomfortable witnessing, here's a fun fact for you. Get in your Bible and learn a little bit more. How about this? Give them what you do know, and when you get tripped up, go back to your house, feel like a moron, get your concordance out, look up some verses, and then next time when that thing comes up, don't be so stupid and not give them the right answer. Shouldn't say stupid. I'm working on this. I'm not supposed to say stupid. Don't be so misinformed to where you can't give them the right answer. Man, I got tripped up by a Jehovah's Witness one time. Oh, man, we're on visitation. This is big old black lady. She's massive. And, and I mean, I'm sorry. Man, this is, this is just a mess. We're going to try to mop this thing up at the end. <laughs> but literally, she was, she was a, uh, a good-sized black woman, and, uh, <coughs> and she, she was sweet as can be, right? We're in Pensacola, knock on her door. She says, oh, darlings, come on in. And me and my buddy Josh Millar were like, okay, cool, let's go in, right? And she's, and, and, uh, she's like, well, I'll let you go first, and then you let me go. And we're like, okay. And we just start lambasting this lady. Bop, 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 giving her Bible. Bam, 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 right? And then she's just sitting there like this. It's like, darlings, you know? And she says, are you done? <laughs> we're like, well, yeah, are you ready to hit the altar and get saved? And she takes out one of her little watchtowers and starts reading verbatim. She's like, okay, my turn. She didn't interrupt us. And then she starts reading. And I was like, oh, yeah. She said, I didn't interrupt you, child. You don't interrupt me. I'm thinking, oh, 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 oh man, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And so we, we, we sat there as she dictated for us this watchtower track that she didn't have any commentary. It was literally her reading the track to us, to Bible scholars sitting in the den of her house. And you know what? I'm thinking to myself, I just got to remember like, you know, when, I got to remember the ascension. I was trying to remember the ascension of Jesus Christ. For the life of me, I could not remember where the ascension of Jesus Christ was. I'm, like, I'm, I'm looking at the end of John. I'm looking at the end of Luke. I'm looking at, I'm like, where did he go up? <laughs> I'm like, I know he went up. Where did he go up? And that lady says, well, you know, you could always study and come back another time if you wanted to. <laughs> I walked out of that house <laughs> with my tail tucked between my legs, and I'm like, Lord says, how's that feel? 
It was Acts chapter 1, you idiot. That's what came after. I'm like, oh, Lord. You know what? I'll never forget where the ascension of Jesus Christ is. You ever think that maybe that's the way it's supposed to be? And the world says, hey, you got a lot of pressure on you, don't you think? You want to know what the problem is? Is when you start feeling that pressure, you start feeling that pressure, and, and it seems like all this stuff you're trying to balance out in your life. You know what the devil does to, to Moses? He starts to talk to him in the middle of his difficulty. Right? And all of a sudden, he gets this thought in his head, just what he's saying, you can't do this. This is too much for you to bear. Ever felt that way? Amen. You ever wonder where that thought came in? You ever wonder who gave you that thought? You can't do this. This is way too hard. You know, the Lord said he wouldn't give you more than you could bear. Can I ask you, where's that in the Bible exactly? You can go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. will not suffer you to be tempted above the year, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, and exactly how does that tell you that he's not going to put on you more than you can bear? Your temptation, not your circumstances. And so if that's the case, whatever it is you're going through, that means you can bear it. So a thought that comes into your mind and says, I just can't take this. I've got my family. I mean, I've got my wife. I've got two million people plus looking at me. I mean, I'm trying to fight the devil. I'm trying, to, or I'm trying to fight the flesh, man. I'm trying to fight this. And it just seems like all this stuff is coming down on me. And then I got this guy in my ear saying, you can't do it. You need to change the way you're doing things. You need to lay off a little bit. Maybe, you know, you just need to skip out Sunday night because you just got so much family stuff going on. Do you see what I just? Do you see what just happened? Do you see what just happened? Oh well, you got to you got to you got to make sure you spend time with your kids. So let's let's make sure. Okay, we'll just we'll just do this stuff on Wednesday night. Because after all, I need to be balanced. Because I can't do everything. That's the devil in your head. My mother-in-law called me this afternoon, and. A couple years ago, she uh, buried her husband in a 3 o'clock in the morning phone call. I've told you this story before. She calls us. He's having a seizure. He's having a seizure. Hangs the phone up. He's turning purple. The paramedics are almost here. Hangs the phone up. He's aspirated. I think he's gone. And he's laying dead on the floor. A few years later, she gets a a nonchalant phone call from a coroner this morning. Are you Jayona Rickard? Yeah. Is Ryan Rickard your son? Yeah. Uh, we would need you to come down to the coroner's office. We have a body here. And she says she goes in there and pulls the thing back. And got foam coming out of his mouth. And she says... He was almost there. He'd been off of drugs for a year. 
doing everything he can possibly do. He's trying the best he can. He was, he's been in prison. He's been out of prison. He's going back and forth. He's, he's trying. He's, he's saved. He's like, Mom, I, I got to get back in church because I don't want to raise my kid like, I was, like I've been coming up. I want to get my kid in church. I want to I be this and I want to be this. And he hadn't touched it for a year and he cut his finger off at work. Pain meds. And a few weeks later, he's OD'd on the floor, and he's gone. And she says, Joe, she says, I'm sitting there praying, and I'm trying to do everything I can to help him, and I'm trying to do everything I can to help him, and I'm just praying. I'm like, Lord, I can't take this anymore. That's how the devil gets you out. I don't know what you're going through tonight. There's all kinds of pressures in your life. When you know the pressures look different from when you're when you're younger, when you're middle aged, when you're older, they look different, but it's the same kind of pressure. And the devil says the same thing. Can't handle it. You can't handle it. You need to ease up. You need to lighten up. How come every time you're supposed to lighten up, God's the one that gets the get that gets the the, the raw end of that deal? Huh? Because you want to know something? He's giving him advice. He's got no business giving him because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to assume the responsibilities of the advice that he's given. You want to know how you know he's in Moses' head? Because when they, they get to a place back there, I think it's in Numbers chapter 10. They get to a place in Numbers chapter 10 where they're about to take off. And Moses says, hey, we need to go talk to Jethro. And he says, Jethro, come with us. Because you can be like eyes and ears to us as we go out and, and, and God will take care of you. Come with us so that we can glean off of your wisdom. What? You've got a pillar of fire leading you around and you need him for what? Amen. It's messed with how he thinks. Just like the world messed with you, the devil messed with how you think. Let me tell you something. I know you're trying to juggle a lot. And I know sometimes it feels like you're burning the candle at both ends. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's just you finding the right balance because that's the ticket to the Christian life. And I'm telling you tonight, you can do what, you're try- what God has for you to do. Amen. It's not too much for you to bear. His grace is sufficient Amen. for you. Amen. And if anything tells you you can't do it, That is the devil, and he's in your head, and he's telling you a lie. He's telling you a lie. In Numbers chapter 22, here's a man named Balaam, right? And Balaam's sitting there. He's just a preacher from, you know, Peor or whatever. And uh, here's Balak. And he says, he sees the children of Israel come there and camping down. And he says, man, they just whooped them folks over there. And now they're camping here. They're all excited. What's going to hold them back from taking us over? And so he says, you know what we need to do? We need to figure out how to take care of this problem, which is the children of Israel. And so he says, we're going to go, we're going to go talk to the Midianites. And they get the Midianites involved. And they take what they, like I said before, they take what they call the rewards of divination. And they go to this little no-name preacher, Balaam. And they say, hey, we'll make you great. We'll, we'll make you the hottest thing in town. You know? And uh, he says, well, I, 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 I can only do what God tells me to do. That's a good answer. 
right? Anybody ever read the story of Balaam and say, man, the guy really had something going for him? Could I just maybe etch away a little bit into that? You want to know what I know about wanting to serve God? Is if you have any desire to serve God whatsoever, then you automatically kind of put yourself in this like little hierarchy ladder. We have a tendency to do that. That's, you, think, you, don't, you think that's in common? That's why Paul says that you compare yourselves among yourselves and it's not wise. He's warning a carnal church that you shouldn't compare yourself to other people because it's our tendency when we get into a church setting and we're laboring with one another that we get this idea <coughs> excuse me, that we're somehow in competition with people. And that's our natural reaction. And the reason that we act that way is because when we think about it and we think about our service to God, a lot of times we think that we're very inadequate to do something for the Lord. I'm not being used the way I want to be used, or I'm not <coughs> being recognized the way that I want to be recognized, or, or, or people are doing more than I am. And so we have this feeling of inadequacy. And the devil comes and says, I can make you great. I can make you great. I can make all your dreams come true. I can give you everything you want. I can give you the ministry you want. I can give you the riches that you want in this world. I can give you the recognition that you want in this world. I can give you everything that you want. I just need you to go against God's people. You want to know what I think drove Balaam? His feeling of inadequacy. You know what happens to us sometimes? The devil comes in. Anybody in here ever feel like you're not doing nothing? You know, it's funny, I hear that all the time coming out of Christians' mouths. Brother Joe, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm just sitting in a pew. God ain't got nothing for me. I'm not a preacher. I'm not going doing this stuff. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. You know, the devil comes to you and says, I can make you great. And then all of a sudden you become, in, in your feeling of inadequacy, what you then do is you then look for opportunities. We had, we're, at a, we're at a dinner one time. A couple of us had a missionary come through, and we're sitting there, and he, he looks at me, and I think Brother Andrew was there too. And uh, he looks at us and he says, so what's your ambitions? What do you want to do for God? I'm sure he's a good guy. But I was like... Uh, he's like, I believe every young man should have ambitions for God. I'm like, okay, well, I get what you're coming from, but I, I try not to have those. <laughs> you say, well, shouldn't you have ambition? Hey, listen, I'm not motivated by ambition because if you're motivated by ambition, that means you're opportunistic. You want to know who's opportunistic in your Bible? Adonijah. Absalom was opportunistic. Some of the worst some of the worst tragedies in the Bible were from people who were being opportunistic because of their ambition. So why would I want to be that way? Why? Because you feel inadequate? Why? Because you see God using somebody and you wish God used you that way? I think that's what's driving Balaam. And so you know what the Midianites come down? They say, hey, you need to make this thing happen. We're gonna, all you got to do is go against God's people. And you know what the problem was? Is Balaam knew exactly what to say, but his actions didn't match what was coming out of his mouth. I'm trying to relate this to us. Anybody seeing what I'm, ta what I'm talking about tonight? 
all of a sudden he finds himself saying, well, I can't go beyond what God is. And, and, and you know, he's just, he keeps going and keeps going. And God says, hey, listen, don't get up in the morning and go with them unless they come to you. He just wakes up and goes right with them and God gets mad. He's like, what are you doing? Why do you keep pushing this thing? If I'm not in it, why are you keep pushing it? You want to know why he's pushing it? Because, man, he wants to be great. And he feels like he's on the stool of do nothing. He thinks he's on the shelf. Let me tell you something. That's a dangerous place to be. Because when you get that thought of inadequacy in your mind, you'll start doing things out of character and comparing yourself. And you'll start pushing things and trying to force things in your life. And you'll find yourself in a situation God never intended you to be in. And you will fail in that position. And it will drag you down to the depths of despair. And you'll think you failed God. And that's how people get out. You understand? I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting in a pew. Maybe that's exactly where God wants you to be. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to do whatever God tells you to do? Okay, if you're willing and you're listening, that's all you need. If there first be a willing mind. You see that? There first be a willing mind. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have after that point. If you have a willing desire to serve the Lord, you're willing to do whatever he tells you to do, then sit in the pew until God comes with a flashlight and says, this is what I want you to do. We find it all the time. Oh, I just feel pressure to get married. Man, I really need a wife. I really need a husband. I really want kids. And so you know what happens? Because you feel like you're inadequate because you see your friends getting married and you see your friends having kids and you see people, you say, I need to do that, I need to do that. And you know what happens? You try to force it. You try to push it. And then people get themselves in bad relationships and they make bad decisions and it affects them for the rest of their life. Do you see how the devil gets in there and he play and he puts that thought in your mind and he plays off of your emotion. He plays off of your circumstance. I was on the farm and we had this had this first time heifer and she, uh, she was given her first calf and uh, she was having a hard time give birth and we finally we got the calf out and uh, we had this thing that happened with her it's called casting her weathers and uh, we took her out into the uh, we took her out uh, to the concrete pad there in front of the barn and it was raining that day I remember it like it was yesterday and I remember just because of the blood curdling screams that were coming out of that cow's mouth man She had already given birth to the calf, but her body kept pushing. So she'd already given, she'd already delivered the calf. She had already produced the fruit that she was supposed to produce, but her body was saying, it's not enough. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep pushing. And as she's pushing, she's still in pain. And she eventually pushes everything that's inside of her out. So she's now inside out, and I'm sitting there on the concrete, as, and, I'm, and I'm trying to keep it off the ground. I've got a uterus and everything just pushed inside out and all the glands and membranes and everything. I'm holding it, and it, and I'm t- it takes up all my arms, and I'm holding it, and they're trying to get a trash bag so they can put it in a trash bag, and there's blood everywhere, and she's bellering, like, like someone's cutting her slowly with knives. I mean, it's just like she's in so much pain, and she just keeps pushing and keeps pushing. We're waiting for the vet to come so he can hit her with some, some stuff that'll make her stop contracting and stop pushing. Eventually, we pushed all that stuff back in. We sewed her shut. And about a week or two later, she died of an infection. You want to know something? 
she was going to have more calves. But she kept pushing after the first one. Hey, listen, folks. Maybe you've already, you're producing the exact fruit that you're supposed to produce right now. But the more you push trying to do more and trying to do more and trying to do more, you're risking hurting yourself when you should stop pushing and just wait until the next time you're supposed to produce more fruit naturally. Does that make sense? And the more you push, the more in danger you become. Let me hurry and give you the last one. He, can, he, puts, you, he puts those th- thoughts in your mind when you're when your layers of difficulty. He'll put those thoughts in your mind when uh, you feel an, uh, inadequacy. And the last one, here's a Midianitish woman. Apostasy is set in Numbers chapter 25. A Midianitish woman comes and she's doing outlandish acts in the middle of the camp in front of Moses, in front of the priests, in front of everybody. Committing a heinous act in front of everyone. You want to know what the crazy thing about that thing is? Yeah, I know it's an accolade for, uh, for uh, Phineas. I know that. He comes in with a spear and stabs her through the belly and the man through the belly, and he, and he puts an end to the plague, all this different stuff. I get that, and he gets an accommodation for it. What's the problem? What are you trying to get at? That Midianitish woman's sitting there, and she's, making those, uh, she's doing those acts and decides to do those acts with that man, and everyone's sitting there watching. And they're going, just so wicked out there. <sighs> Look at this. Can you believe this is going on? I mean, I mean, oh my goodness, can you imagine the audacity that someone would have to do such a heinous act in front of everybody? No shame. Oh, it just must be the world we live in today. Apathy. Apathy to the things of God. Apathy to the world and how it creeps into the church. Apathy. The devil comes in and says, ain't no use. Look at how wicked they are. God's done. Why, should, why would you throw a, why would you get your arms, why would you get all up in arms about stuff? Don't you know how wicked the world is? Look at what they're doing in the middle of the streets. Ever feel that way? You ever get to the place where you're thinking about yourself, Man, this place is so bad. Why would I even care about the world? Why, yeah, anybody in the last three years listen to somebody and they say, you know what, I just, I, I, I'm not even really worried about making plans. I'm not really worried about serving God. I'm just praying for the rapture because the world's just so bad. As if that's the way you're supposed to live. Yeah, you're supposed to look forward to the rapture, but not at the expense of living a Christian life, especially at the excuse of, well, just how bad the world is. Ain't nobody getting saved. Look at how wicked they are. You know what? There's a lot of people getting saved right now. The reason you ain't seen anybody get saved is because you've already given up and you don't see the value in telling anybody because they're just so wicked. That's the devil. That is is the devil. That's not, that's not you getting some advanced revelation that somehow the rapture is just about to happen. No, that's you looking around at circumstances and seeing the wickedness of what's currently in front of you and deciding to be apathetic and just do nothing. That's what that is. And that's a thought that goes into your mind and the devil says, why even try? Everybody else is doing it. There's no reason to keep fighting for, you know, 
Why don't we just why don't we just why don't we just have the bouncing ball? Why is it such a big deal that they're not printing the, the hymnals anymore? Why is it such a big deal? You know how wicked the world is. Look, young people, if that's if that's the way you view Christianity now, what happens if the Lord doesn't come back for 10, 15 years? Where's the church gonna be then? What if he doesn't come back for 30 years? Are we gonna have a bouncing ball? We're going to have rock band and drum sets up here. We're going to build a new building just so that we can fit in all the young people and we can get them in here and we can have youth Sunday and we can have all this different stuff. Why? Because the world's just so wicked. So we made no preparation. We didn't think it was important to stand anymore because of how bad everything is. When the Bible tells you that you're not supposed to leave the ancient landmarks and you're supposed to desire the old past. He didn't call, he says that you can live godly where? In this present evil world. I believe a lot of Christians have waved the white flag on Christian service because of how bad the world is. As if queers hadn't existed for hundreds of years. Unbelievable to me. Oh, queers at work. No duh. They're just out now. They just used to kill them back then. <laughs> they, just, <laughs> they just, you know, that's what they had to be in hiding. You know, now they just kind of get to walk around and have a good time. You going to quit because of it? You know, the devil would love for you to think that he's just gained so much ground that there's no more ground to gain and there's no more ground to hold. And to put that thought in your head and say, nobody's getting saved anymore. Why go to the jails? They're just going to walk out. Right? Why street preach? Oh, maybe everybody's going to roll the windows up. They don't want to hear that. You see the mindset? Listen, that ain't the world. That ain't the flesh. That's the devil getting in your mind and affecting the way you think. And if he can just get you sitting on a pew and keeping your mouth shut out in the world because you think the world's so wicked, and if you're going to keep your mouth shut when something, if something were to, let me ask you a question. If somebody were to come in here and play an off-colored special up here, would you get upset about it? Well, that's just the way it's going. You're the problem. You're the problem. And the devil's got you thinking a certain way. And hope to God you're never in a place of leadership where you can make decisions. Amen. You say, what are you trying to tell us? And I'm trying to tell you that you should be really concerned about how the devil can manipulate your imaginations. Because you know what the Bible tells us to do with those imaginations? He says, cast them down. If it hey, listen, if it exalts itself above the knowledge of God and what you know to be good down-home country Bible sense, he says, you take that thing, you crumple up, you say, that thing right there, Lord, that right there, that thought, that thing that says, I can't bear it anymore, that thought that says, oh, there's no use in trying anymore, that thought, Lord, that thought that says, I'm no good and I can't do anything and I don't have the skill and I don't have the ability and I don't have, and I don't have the personality and I don't, all those inadequacies that I have, you take that thought, and you throw it down. And you say, that's not true. Say, how do you fight it? Well, let me give you a little something. You're never told to fight the devil. You're not a charismatic. Say, I'm going to wrap the, the, I'm going to tie a knot in the devil's tail, you know, and just kick him off to the curb. You ain't doing that. It ain't going to happen that way. You're told to do two things with the devil. You're told... 
to watch out for him. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil roameth about seeking whom he may devour. Sober and vigilantly, you're supposed to watch out for him. You're supposed to be cognizant of what he does. You know what the Bible tells you over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? He says that the devil can take advantage of you. You want to know how the devil gets an advantage? In your mind. You know when fighting, you know why, you know why they have the face-off? You know a lot of fighters, you, know, you talk to fighters and they do face-offs and stuff like that? They said, I knew I wanted to fight the face-off. How did you know that? He says, I got in his head. I got in his head. I could tell he looked down. You had a face off, you, you keep your eyes locked one to another and you don't show any weakness, you don't show any fear. Because the minute you show weakness or fear and you look down, he's in your stinking head. He just won. And the devil gets advantage of you by messing with your brain and messing with your thoughts. And the only way that you can, and the only way you can free yourself from that, the Bible tells you, is you have to acknowledge the truth. That's the only way you get out from the snare of the devil. And what's the truth? God ain't done yet. How do you know? Because you're still breathing. God was done. The rapture would happen. The horn would go and we'd leave. But he's not done yet. And the church is still here. Okay? So you're not done. I don't care how wicked the world is. You know what else I know? <clears throat> the Bible tells you to resist. How do you resist? You acknowledge the truth. Okay, he's not done. I'm inadequate. As if that's ever been a prerequisite for God to use anybody. We're talking about Moses. Do you tell me that Moses was fully qualified? Did you not read Genesis? Did you not read any of that stuff where he's like, Lord, I don't have a tongue and I can't speak and I don't have this and I can't do that. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. I'll use you anyway. You ever read that portion of scripture where he says, not many wise, not many noble are called, but he uses the base things in the world to confound the wise? As if your ability has any hindrance for you doing anything for God. But why do you tell yourself that? Because the devil's got you. I can't sing a special. I can't play an instrument. I can't do what they do. I can't do what they do. You want to know something? Let me just be real. I can't say that. Uh, let me not lie tonight. <laughs> you know, it's really hard for me to sing. You ask any one of these guys I've sang with in our group, you know what they'll tell you? I don't, you can't play a note on a piano and then I can match it. I feel it by the pressure that's in my vocal cords. I, I can't sing by, I say that I play by ear and that kind of stuff. I really, when I sing, I sing by the pressure. I can't, I, I can't hear it very well. And so when we do vocals and we do like uh, acapella songs or we do that, it's hard for me. And you know what? It's not easy for me to play and sing and think at the same time. Especially when you put me in a meeting and there's a lot of pressure, I just start messing words up. We were down there this last week, and we we're singing one song, and I was, uh, we we're singing that, uh, what was the song, Adam, we were singing? We we're singing uh, something about this one thing I know. There are things about the Lord that are written in His Word, uh, and, and all of them are so. I didn't sing that. You know what I sang? I said, there are things about the Lord that are written in His Word, and none of them are so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to stop the song. I was like, I just sang heresy. I can't, I can't recover from that. We have to start over. <laughs> Listen, man, I, it, it's hard for me. You know how many people come to me, oh, you just have so much raw talent. Shut your mouth, man. <laughs> That's not true at all. You say, 
You better acknowledge the truth. You're not inadequate. And whatever it is, God, if God were to show you what he wants you to do, you'd sit there just like Moses did and say, Lord, I can't do that. He says, yeah, well, you just let me do what I'm going to do. I'll do whatever I want to do. Don't you worry about it. And he'll give you exactly what you need to do to do what God wants you to do. Maybe you're looking at the thing God doesn't want you to do. Maybe you're pushing it too hard. Maybe you're putting pressure on yourself that doesn't need to be there. Maybe you just need to be a little bit more patient and let God do it instead of you trying to force it. You see what I'm saying? You know what the last thing is? Moses finds himself in a situation here. Because you know what you find out about the devil? You can't run from him like you can Egypt. And you can't fight with him like you can Amalek. You know what you can do? The same thing Michael does when he comes to the devil. He says, I didn't put up a railing accusation. You know what he did? He gave him over to the Lord. Moses gets to that place. He's got all this pressure on him. And he says, Lord, I can't go another step. I can't go any further. I'd rather you kill me. He says, I beseech you, show me thy glory. That's the only way I can move forward. Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, you want to know how you, how you rise above the thoughts in your head and the torment that when no one else is around and you get down to thinking, you say, I'm no good and I can't do this. The pressure is too much. Lord, I'm just bad at this. I'm no good. Lord, I can't do this. Everybody's so wicked. That, oh, why do I, even, I can't stand going to work because everybody's just so wicked. I can't. And all these things that the devil puts in your head, you know, Moses says, Lord, I just need a glimpse of you. I need to see you, Lord. I need to be as close to you as I can possibly be. And you know what the Lord does? He says, that's what you want, huh? That's what you need? He says, okay, hide in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you there with my hand, and I'll pass before you, and I'll let you see a little glimpse of my glory. You want to know what some of you in here need tonight? You know what you need tonight? Because all the nasty thoughts that are going through your head, the devil planted in your mind, and the lies you've told to yourself, and the lies that you've believed from the devil, you know what you need tonight? You need a fresh look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and realize, you know what Moses need to know? It ain't about me and what I think. You know what it's about? What the Lord can do with me. And as long as I have a clear view of Him, then I, all those things that are placed in my mind, you know what, all those inadequacies and all those difficulties and all the apathy, you know what that, it's all centered around you. It's because you're focusing on yourself and the devil knows it because he gets to you in a moment of weakness, he gets to you in a moment of trouble and trial, and he says, you're no good. He says, you can't do this. Look at how bad it is out there. And he plays on your emotions. The Lord says, you know what you need? You need to see me. You need to get close to me. And ladies and gentlemen here tonight, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you'll find out that you can govern those thoughts in your mind. Because if you don't learn how to do that, you won't make it to the end. And that's what I want. I don't like getting two phone calls in a day. And the phone call in the morning, my mom's distraught. People dying. I don't like getting the phone call while I'm standing in church. You know what I know? Ain't about me. I can keep my eyes on Lord Jesus Christ and I can get through this thing just like you can. But you got to learn how to cast down those imaginations. That's the devil's playground. And maybe some of you tonight, you know what you need? You just need to get to an altar and say, Lord, I just need a glimpse. <laughs> just need a glimpse. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, I pray for these people here at this church. God, I ask you to be with them. God, I pray you give them a glimpse, just like you gave Moses. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them.
Lord, I know that if I'm being honest tonight, my biggest battleground is between my ears if I'm being honest tonight. I know how to paint the flesh and I know how to get out from the world. But Father, those thoughts that are in my mind, Lord, that's where I lose the battle so many times. Father, help us as a church. Help us, God, as Christians, Lord, to get through this thing, Lord. Help us to guard our minds. That's so the devil gets an advantage of us.